We're going to open up our Bibles again now. Uh, we're reading, continuing on in the Gospel of John, reading from John 16, and Kai's going to lead us in that. Again, the reading was from the Gospel of John in chapter 16. And we'll start at verse 16. A little while, and you'll see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? <coughs> truly, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, Thank you, Kai. It would be really good to keep your Bible open there at John 16. Uh, We'll be looking at a number of the verses here, but particularly our focus this morning will actually be on verse 22 uh, there as well. Uh, Just a little bit of a a kind of a a plot forward where we're going preaching-wise over the next couple of months or the next little while. Uh, We will be wrapping up this series in John uh, in February. Uh, So we're going to look at chapter 17 still uh, as we make our way through. We'll look at chapter 17 over two Sundays. And that'll be the first two Sundays in February. Until then, uh, next Sunday and Christmas Day, we'll have uh, Christmas-themed sermons. We'll be looking at uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, and what that means for us. And then over the end of December and the start of January, uh, I will be taking some leave and uh, we will be having smorgasbord uh, of preaching here at South Bowen. So we're really uh, blessed to have many guys who are gifted and able to preach 
and uh, they will be preaching for us over those five weeks um, while I'm on leave. So that's just a little idea uh, of where we're going. Uh, today we're carrying on in this Gospel of John, this uh, section where Jesus is addressing his disciples on the night of his arrest, the night before his crucifixion, and he's preparing them and he's preparing us for this time uh, that he's away. So let's, uh, let's pray, before, shall we, before we get in. Our Lord God, we thank you that we can pause now and uh, have your word and consider what you said and are saying to us today. Uh, we thank you that you speak to us, uh, you guide us in truth like we looked at last week, and the Holy Spirit, he's living and active uh, in us and through your word. Please give us understanding today, uh, but please, Lord God, be at work in our minds, in our hearts. Uh, please renew us, transform us for your glory, uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a little over 10 years ago, there was a movie that came out, uh, starred Will Smith, called The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, this movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, tells the true story of a man named Char- Chris Gardner, Uh, and his rise to fame and to fortune, and most importantly, to happiness. Chris Gardner's life, though, as portrayed in this film, was not always a life that we would associate with happiness or with joy. Uh, Chris Gardner dropped out of medical school uh, before he had completed his studies and went in as a medical salesman. He poured all his money into buying bone density scanners and set about selling them to doctors, to hospitals, a business that was ultimately a failure. Uh, Due to financial issues, his wife left him and moved to the other side of the country, and not only left him, but also left their five-year-old son. And Chris Gardner and his son eventually became homeless. Chris Gardner's big break came when he was offered a six-month unpaid internship at a stockbroking company. He took that, and throughout that six months, uh, he and his son lived in bus shelters, homeless shelters, railway stations. Finally, the movie ends with him being awarded uh, this wonderful position in a stockbroking company. And Chris Gardner went on from there to establish his own business, become very successful, and continue to live quite a happy life. Now, when it comes to the title of the movie and the theme or the message of the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, there are a couple of ways that you could interpret it. Uh, One is to say that happiness or joy is an attitude. It's a state of mind. It's a choice. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter whether you have a job or you don't, whether you're rich or poor, whether you have a roof over your head or, or you don't, whether your marriage is successful or not. Happiness as a choice, it's an attitude. Have the right attitude and you will be happy. The other way to read it is to say, well, happiness comes to those who work for it. Work hard, pursue your dreams, don't give up, keep pressing forward no matter what obstacles are in your way and eventually you will have it. Eventually you'll be happy. Now, in many ways, those two attitudes or those two thoughts about happiness and joy exist throughout our society. We view happiness, joy as either a state of mind, a choice to make, 
or a reward for working very hard. And at this time of the year, we go about with great gusto putting those theories to the test. This is a time of year, maybe more than any other, where our society, the culture around us, is obsessed with pursuing joy. Either working hard for it or being in a state of mind, we are obsessed with joy around Christmas time. But the question has got to be asked is, does it really come? Are people truly joyous and happy because of their state of mind or because they worked for it? And if it does come, how long does it really last? This morning we're considering these words which Jesus spoke to disciples 2,000 years ago. Over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at this whole section and the way in which he's preparing us for living in this world while we wait for him to return. We've seen some incredible themes and some incredible teaching. He's talked about the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, both Jesus himself and the Father comes to us, makes his home with us. Seeing the Holy Spirit brings us a relationship with Jesus, like a vine to branches, through which we can do what Jesus commands us to do. But we've seen some other things too, haven't we? We've seen the opposition that will come to us, the hardship that we will face as followers of Jesus. Now, these final words, these are the kind of last words directly addressed to the disciples before the cross. Chapter 17 is a prayer, and we'll be looking at that a little later. But in these final words, uh, Jesus is specifically speaking to his disciples about the time of his crucifixion and resurrection. You notice that as Kai was reading it for us, he, he uses that phrase, a little while. A little while you won't see me, and a little while you will see me. That little while we understand to be the little while of the cross and then the little while of the resurrection. Now, here's a lot of things to say to them and to us about preparing for that time. But I, I want to focus on just one of the themes. It's quite a dominant theme here. And it's the theme of joy. The joy that comes to disciples. Because Jesus' take on joy is very different from our world. It's not an attitude. It's not a positive outlook in spite of all your circumstances. Neither is it a reward for hard work. For Jesus, joy is something very different altogether. So I want to pick up on three things that Jesus says here. Firstly, the source of joy, where it comes from. Secondly, the depth of joy. How deep does it go? And then finally, the extent of joy. How long will it last? In a time of year when we chase joy, promote joy, seek out joy, what Jesus says here is very important. Because it counters the so often false, shallow, self-achieved joy that we're too ready to settle for. And in settling for it, 
we so often miss out on the true joy that comes from Christ. So let's start then with the source. Where does it come from? Now, before talking about joy, Jesus actually has something to say about the opposite of joy. He has something to say about sorrow. Have a look down at me at, with me at verse 20. And look at what he says. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. What's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the coming crucifixion, isn't he? He's saying you will weep and lament. There will be great sorrow for the disciples. The world, of course, is going to be rejoicing. It is strung up. It is hung up to die, this troublemaking Jesus. But Jesus says, you will sorrow. Now, more than just Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus, a little later on, we read it there at the end, the disciples will be reflecting on their own behavior. He says down there in verse 32, you will be scattered. Each one will go to his own home and you will leave me alone. I wonder if we can imagine that time for the disciples, those days following the crucifixion. Those disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They had heard him teach. They had seen his miracles. They had felt and experienced his love for them. But yet what had they done? Well, they'd argued about which one of them was the greatest disciple of all times. Peter had boldly proclaimed that he would go with Jesus no matter where he went. And then when it came down to it, they had run away and abandoned him scared. So when Jesus says you will weep and you will lament, we can imagine that, can't we? But Jesus is saying that that sorrow won't last. Verse 20 continues, You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus then likens that to a woman in, in labor. Labor, so I'm led to believe, is apparently quite painful. It's a time of sorrow, a time of grief. I don't know what all the fuss is about personally, but anyway, that'll get me in trouble later. Uh, yeah. But that sorrow goes, doesn't it? That sorrow disappears. When a child is born, says Jesus, the sorrow is turned to joy and the sorrow itself is forgotten. That, he says, is going to be the experience for disciples. Sorrow will be turned to joy. What's going to turn it then? What's going to be the turning point? Verse 22 says it. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. What brings joy to disciples? It's the resurrected Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus seeing them and they seeing him. That's what is going to bring the disciples joy. Now, why does it come from the resurrected Jesus? Why doesn't joy come from the crucified Jesus? Why not three days earlier? That's because it's the resurrection that settles everything once and for all. 
The resurrection proves beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is. That he's this promised king from God. He's God himself. He's the Messiah. He is the savior of the world. It settles his claim for what he has come to do. It proves that he has conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered the evil one. He's conquered Satan. And it establishes the living presence of Jesus with his disciples then and forever. Because of the resurrection, he will then send the Holy Spirit into the world. The resurrection changes everything. And it changes sorrow into joy. Now, how different is that from our world's attitude to joy? Joy is not something to be attained, to be earned. It's not the right attitude, the positive attitude. It's not the reward for working hard to accomplish your dreams. Joy is a gift given by the resurrected Jesus. A little earlier in chapter 15, he said, I tell you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. As I said earlier, this is a lot of time of the year where we, we talk a lot about joy. Uh, we sing and we have cards that say, joy to the world. We even have a tea towel at home, I noticed this morning, that says joy to the world. And we see society put so much pressure on making this a joyful time and a joyful experience. But it's manufactured. It's temporary. It's so often shallow. This time of year, we, uh, we also talk about the post-holiday blues, the crash that can come so easily after. There is a spike in domestic violence, a spike in suicide, a spike in calls to lifeline and the like. For all our efforts, they fail to deliver. And how sad, how ironically sad, because this time of year is all about the one who brings joy. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God breaking in, coming into the mess of society, a king who would restore us, restore relationships, restore us to the Father, a king who would go through the greatest sorrow and pain imaginable so that we could have what is true and lasting. I think you and I, we know the reality of that temptation ourselves, don't we? We so quickly and easily go looking for joy in places that it was never meant to be found. Whether that be Christmas or holidays or a job or relationship. Now, don't get me wrong, these are all wonderful things. I enjoy them myself. But if they're our final source of joy, then we are missing out. 
Because true joy comes from the resurrected Jesus. It's a gift from him to his people. All right, well, that's its source. Let's have a look then at what what Jesus says about its depth. Now, there are many things that make me smile, many things that give me moments of happiness. Uh, I quite enjoy watching Michael McIntyre videos on YouTube and on Facebook. That guy is funny. Uh, He knows how to make me laugh. Watching my sports teams play gives me moments of joy. Gives me moments of absolute frustration as well uh, at different times, particularly at the moment. But there are moments of joy in there. But these things don't go very deep. They don't last very long. So how deep does this joy from Jesus go? Well, Jesus says it there in verse 22, doesn't he? He says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. How deep is this joy, says Jesus? It is heart deep. It is right down. It's right at the core of our being. Now, how can Jesus say that? How can he promise joy at the level of our hearts? Something deep down right in our core. Well, he can say that because he is winning for us, creating for us a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus goes on to talk about that in the next couple of verses. If you want to have a look at what he's saying in verses 23 and 24. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. He's saying to these disciples who are gathered there, you won't be asking me for anything. Truly, oh truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until you now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. He's saying here there's a new relationship with our Father. One of asking and receiving so that our joy might be full. Now we say, aha, finally I understand this whole joy thing. I always knew that people who had everything were the happy ones. And this just proves it. I can now have everything because I can ask God whatever I want and I can have it. I can have all those things that make people happy and finally I will be happy as well. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, not quite. Because Jesus is first and foremost talking about a new relationship with our Heavenly Father. With the God who created us and loves us. A relationship which Jesus himself makes possible. Because before Jesus and without Jesus, such a relationship with God is just not possible. We have a problem, a very big problem. A problem of rebellion, of sin, of going our own way. That problem means that there is a barrier between us and God that we cannot cross. We cannot leap over. We cannot change. But Jesus can. And he did. And rising from the dead, he proved it. 
He paid for that sin and that rebellion. He took the punishment that we deserve. He suffered in our place. And the result of that is that we are forgiven. We are adopted children of the living God. That new relationship is expressed wonderfully and intimately in prayer. We ask things of our Heavenly Father. Things that align with the purpose and the mission of Jesus. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. It's not a magical phrase that we tack on the end so that God will somehow answer all of our prayers. Prayer in in Jesus' name means prayer for His sake, that align with His purpose, that align with His kingdom work. And the Father hears those and He answers them. And we know that his answers are good and right, even when they're no. Because he is the father who loves us. Ever since we fell into sin, we have had something deeply missing from our lives. That relationship with the God who created us and the joy that flows from it. Ever since that time, we have been trying to fill our lives with all sorts of fake, false, sometimes downright hurtful and destructive alternatives. Anything to cover up this hole in our lives. Why is it that we abuse alcohol and drugs? We're trying to cover a hole in our lives. Why do we end up in relationships with people who hurt us? Because we're trying to cover a hole. Why do we bury ourselves in our work to the point that it damages our families, our marriages, and our health? Why do we excessively stress about the way that we look? Because there is a hole that we are trying to cover with anything that we can. One of the jobs I do not envy is uh, being on the returns counter at Kmart on Boxing Day. Can you imagine that job? Every missed-sized item of clothing that got handed over. Every gift that was opened up and damaged or broken by the end of the day. Don't get me wrong, I love Kmart. Where else can you do all your Christmas shopping for $3.75? Nowhere else in the world, but I do not want to work there on Boxing Day. The more sad than returning a gift on Boxing Day is that many people will need to return their joy because it came from what is not lasting. It came from a fake, flimsy, false alternative. Because it did not come from the resurrected Jesus. It did not go heart deep. It lasted but a moment. Only to realize that our hearts were still dark and devoid of joy. Well, that's the depth. Well, what about the extent? How long 
will the joy of Jesus last. Our shallow joy can be so quickly gone, fleeting but for a moment. The moments that bring us joy are quickly replaced by the harsh realities of life. Credit card bills will keep rolling in. They may be even higher in January than they were the month before. A job will need to be returned to. An unexpected disaster might strike. Even as a follower of Jesus, life might get tougher. It's not sweet always. It's not always rosy. So how long will it last? Well, Jesus says it there at the end of verse 22, doesn't he? Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one, and I think Jesus implies it, no thing. If our joy is found in Christ, in his love, in his work, in his presence with us, nothing can ever take that away from us. Jesus even says at the end of it, I have said these things in verse 33, that you may have peace in the world. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus reigns at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He reigns over all things. He keeps his disciples, his people in his care. His work has conquered death and sin and the evil one. He promises to be with his people. And he's with us every moment in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's a friend and a savior and a king to his people. He loves his disciples and he cares for them in absolutely every way possible. He's restored us, renewed us, and he's coming again to take us to our eternal home. What can take the joy of the Christian away? Absolutely nothing. It could be that we're here this morning on a hunt for joy. A search for joy, a mission for joy. Maybe we're trying to be positive about our lives. Doing all of the things as not getting in the way, just going to have a good outlook on life. That'll, that'll keep me joyful. Maybe we're working really, really hard for all those things that we believe will give us lasting joy. We need to stop and we need to listen to Jesus. I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will ever take your joy from you. Could be today that you're hearing that for the very first time. 
It could be that up until this point, life has been a search for meaning, joy, happiness on your own terms. There is one who has promised it and delivered it. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. And he restores our lives to our Heavenly Father. He says, I will see you and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Maybe today is a reminder that we have neglected the true source of joy. We've got caught up in all of the things going on around us and been happy to settle for the fakes and the false in the temporary. Maybe today Jesus calls us to return, calls us to find true joy in him. Maybe we are quite aware of this, but it's hard to remember because of many of the difficult things that we face in life. Maybe the joy is there, but it's joy through gritted teeth. As we enjoy many, endure many struggles and trials and suffering. We too need to remember these words. The Jesus who appeared on Easter Sunday will appear again. Our hearts will rejoice. And no one will ever take our joy from us. Let's pray to him now, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for the wonderful news of the gospel, the wonderful news of the resurrection. We thank you that Jesus did not remain in a grave. Thank you that he rose victorious and triumphant. Thank you that our hearts are filled with joy on account of him. Thank you that despite our efforts to find it elsewhere, and Lord, sometimes the circumstances of our lives, thank you for that the joy that we have in Christ is deep and lasting. As we celebrate Christmas, may this be our true source of joy, of hope, of meaning. Help us not to get sucked in by all the things that are going on around us. May our focus be on him who brings true joy to the world. We ask this in his name. Amen.